All right, we are here with another edition of Casey Music Talk. I am here today with a drummer, singer, and musician here in Kansas City, uh, Craig Summy. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. No problem, cool. man. So I met you, at, and I'd love to talk about this here in a minute, but I, I met you at your guys' jam, I think. Yeah, that was the first time uh, that we got up and played, and dude, I enjoyed the hell out of playing with you ever since, because Man, it's, you know, we get a lot of musicians that come in um, and it's great to see them kind of flourish mm -hmm. when they get up in the live scene. Um, but man, I'll tell you what, when you brought your violin mm -hmm. in, that was badass. No, thanks, man. It was a lot of fun. It's always fun to get up with you guys. And I know for myself, I I like to play like difficult music and, and, def and not not just stuff that, nobody's, that nobody ever plays, but that's like, you know, Something that never hurts, you know. So getting up there and playing Keeps like your chops going. <laughs> you know? Pink Floyd and you know, and trying to drop Mrs. Robinson and all these, you know, tunes. But uh, but it, it's really fun to play with you guys. Um, so for people that don't know you, tell tell a little bit about you know maybe like how you got started playing and some yeah. of your stuff like kind of before now. Well, um, it kind of all dates back. I started um, learning how to play drums when I was in third grade, mm -hmm. and um, I had, and I still remember his name, Mr. Shonoff, um, was my first teacher I ever had. And I'll tell you what, when you're starting out, the thing that, you know, you're just kind of chomping at the bit, I had a little uh, wooden pad mm -hmm. that was at an angle, and all he did was teach me, you know, sticks and rudiments mm -hmm. and everything on this pad while I had to look at this drum set you know, and go, when do I get to that? Yeah. When do I get to that? Being um, completely tortured, right? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. man. And so um, from then, I uh, started performing in the school concert bands mm -hmm. and doing that. And then as I got older, um, I took lessons from uh, Phil Koziara, <clears throat> kudos, who was also, um, he was... Uh, professional percussionist, but also the uh, band director for the middle school band that I was mm -hmm. in. And he taught me, I mean, really going into stuff, um, but it was predominantly just snare drum and again, rudiments and everything because I was in marching bands mm -hmm. then, but um, I had gone on to the state competitions and, mm -hmm. you know, was in the, the state uh, band and everything so the thing that was real difficult for me is we moved around every four years mm -hmm. so when I went to um, my high school years they didn't offer band um, in my high schools which really sucked yeah wow. but um, I was my dad got me my first drum set which um, I guess would be equivalent to today buying it off of eBay from somebody Cause it was just kind of like a hodgepodge mm -hmm. kit, but I was so psyched to um, have something like that. And I'll never forget the first song that I learned how to play on a drum set was Carousel Ombra by Led Zeppelin on their In oh, Through the okay. Outdoor okay. album. And I would just listen to that. I had a boombox that I would set up right next to my deal and play it and play along with it. And mm -hmm. the rest is history. Mm -hmm. um, we wound up when we moved from Massachusetts to Connecticut. That's when um, 
me playing in bands really started taking off. My brother and I, mm-hmm. and I have an older brother who's the Midwest rep for Ernie Ball. Oh, um, okay. But we had been in bands since we were together writing music. Um, and then we had a next door neighbor who was, so we were a power trio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I bought my first real drum set. I saved my money up for that mm-hmm. and bought a Pearl export kit. And then, you know, just had, as I gotten older, um, went off and just played in bands in school mm-hmm. that kind of subsidized a lot of my extra income mm-hmm. in college doing that. Um, my freshman year of college, I went to University of New Hampshire and first thing I did when I got up there is I looked for musicians mm-hmm. and we had a band together and then I transferred to um, Johnson & Wales University to get my culinary degree mm-hmm. and um, my next door neighbor that was um, in that band with my brother and I, he went to Fairfield University and he introduced me to a guy by the name of Pete Grennan and this guy was... I was just awestruck when I watched this guy play guitar. Mm. He was phenomenal. And we had a band together. Um, the name of the band was called Swan Song. Mm-hmm. And we did pretty much a lot of that, you know, Zeppelin, Bad Company, a lot mm. of the artists that were on the Swan Song label. Yeah. And we were a power trio. Uh, Frankie Basher was our bass player. And then uh, Pete's college band was called Broken Bottles. So they would have me come in and sing with them. So that's kind of how I transitioned into the singing deal. Yeah, right. And being a front man because it was kind of with my kind of over-the-top personality, um, <laughs> it made sense for those guys. So I said, okay, yeah. I'll do it. And I really fell in love with doing that. That's cool, man. Yeah. So you, you talked about playing in the marching band and stuff like that. How, how did you like that, being in band and stuff? It was... It was fun. My biggest challenge I had, I hate practicing. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just kind of one of those deals. My mom bought me drums to try to channel my energy, mm-hmm. but I just can't sit still long enough to yeah, practice. Yeah. And it was, you know, it, that was tough for me. But when you had, you know, uh, shows coming up and, and concerts, mm-hmm. you know, you're practicing the crap out of it right. to be prepared. Um, you have that incentive, right? There's yeah. A, there's, I, I talk about with my students about there being that external thing going on. And I think the ki- the other kids, too, are, are a part of that as well. When you have other kids and you're looking over at them and you're like, oh, man, he's kicking my butt. You know, and, yeah. and you have that. Those, those are what I'd call the external factors instead of just the, the internal motivation of you wanting to get good. Well, there's concerts. There's obviously the teacher. There's the students. There's, you know. There's a lot to it, you mm-hmm. know. And it's, it's interesting because, um, we'll take Scotty McBee as an example, mm-hmm. and we do our jam night, and when you have somebody that's as uh, versed on their instrument, and that's mm-hmm. the, kind of the joke, I call Scotty the rain man of music, yeah, right. because he plays everything, but yeah. he practices like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. And when you have somebody that's like that, it makes playing look effortless, mm-hmm. you know, and it's so it's so funny because we'll have people come up to us and they're like, hey, you know this song, right? And Scotty's kind of looking at him going, no. And they're like, oh, you can play it. You can play it. But they don't realize he takes all this time mm-hmm. before going into to learn all these songs. Right. And it's it's always amazing to me because I've got like memory issues. <laughs> so... um 
for me, that's why when I have and I'm performing, I use lyrics all the time because I can't remember them. There's a lot of songs that I've just I've been doing since I was so young that they're just kind of ingrained. Only a billion lyrics to remember. And that's just it. And yeah. it's so funny because when I'm playing with uh, the Troubadours, we have the tablets mm -hmm. on the stands. And when I'm with the Shanks, I've got a stand and like big lyric sheets yeah. of everything. Matter of fact, it's funny because I call it the Bible. Mm -hmm. And this year, I finally, I got um, a pad for Christmas. Um, and <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, you can shave your back and start walking up right now. Welcome to the 21st century. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's funny. I mean, I have that problem too with lyrics and like, for me, if I, if I kind of can get the first, you know, first four words of the verse, you know, then I'm, then I'm ready then to go. Then it just but, all kind of falls in place. You just yeah. gotta have that there. Um, yeah. And speaking of, so, so speaking of the jam, uh, that's one of the things that I'm, you know, I, I think everybody who goes there is ridiculously impressed by you guys with your set list. You know, I mean, your set list is, you know, ridiculously monstrous, you know, and that, that's always something that's really impressive that, that you can, and you guys, you guys all sometimes do this round robin. I mean, Scotty is like really good at guitar and drums, but then somebody else can go play drums. You come out and be the front man, right. and then Brett can kind of move, you know, and you guys all kind of move around. And But th that's just one of those things that I think a lot of open jams don't have is that vast of a set list. Well, and I think that's the cool thing with, um, well, when I started there, um, and it was my band, The Shanks, um, we were looking to just kind of get out and kind of get into the scene. Mm -hmm. And that was back in like 2002, I think it was. And I heard about this jam. So I said, boom, let's, you know, guys, we're going to get on there and do a couple songs and just kind of showcase. And Justin Collette at the time, it was Justin Collette, Scotty McBee, and Brett Boulay were the um, three guys that started the jam night. And it's been going... 16 years now. Wow. Yeah, can you wow. believe that? Um, and they had it at the Jerry's Bait Shop on Wednesday nights in Lenexa. Mm -hmm. And then they would move it Thursdays right. to their Lee, Lee Summit. Summit. Mm -hmm. So Justin, living out in the Lee Summit area, um, I got to know him real quick. And he's wired a lot like I am. So we headed off real mm -hmm. quickly. But we had come in as a band, and after doing like two songs, he called the owner right away and it's like, you gotta book these guys for a gig. And then we kind of got our start at Jerry's. Mm -hmm. Well, it came, um, oh God, it was, I think I've been doing this 10 years now. Mm -hmm. um, God, it seems so long when you hear that. Uh, but old. Justin was kind of phasing out and he said, man, how about you kind of take over my role out here in Lenexa um, as kind of the MC and everything. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, sure, you know, and I started doing that and I've been there since. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting if you look at the dynamic between Brett and Scotty and I, it's funny that my nickname's Captain Chaos because mm -hmm. I'm just kind of used to, all right, just go on the fly, do mm -hmm. this, do that, let's mix it up. And they're kind of very methodical mm -hmm. with what they do. Thinking and, it out and planning. And, yep. yeah, yeah. and it's funny because I'll be on the drums and 
he's got, and I don't know what the heck they're talking about, you know, because they'll always joke with me and they're like, what key is that in? I'm like, I don't know, the one on the record, you know, so, and they're always going, what's that, 145? And I'm going, 6912, you know, right. so, and I don't realize they're talking about, you yeah. know, these, so I'm just, I, you know, musically, I'm kind of challenged when it comes to stuff like that. I know how to read drum music, yeah. but as far as, you know, I know how things are supposed to sound. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because when we have rehearsals with the Shanks and we're figuring out a new song, you know, my lead guitar player will play something. I'm like, no, that's not right. Go up a half step. Yeah. No, another half step. And then I'm like, that's it. And I can mm -hmm. hear exactly how it's supposed to sound, right. but I couldn't translate it on paper right. to save my life. And, um, but the cool thing with Jam Night, getting back to that, it is a very interactive evening. Mm -hmm. And it's unlike a lot of Jam Nights um, because it's kind of a show. It's um, a Jam Night. It's um, a showcase for bands that want to kind of get started. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing that's most rewarding <laughs> for me is when I see, we get a lot of, you know, we get the younger kids coming in early and then the night kind of transitions. And, um, you know, you'll get the same jammers that come out, mm -hmm. sing the same songs all the time. And you're like, okay. But we get a lot of these younger kids that come out and to watch them develop mm -hmm. is absolutely amazing. And I'm gonna use a couple people. We had Ethan, um, he started coming out, I think when he was 13. Mm -hmm. And at the age of 19, and this kid can play guitar, mm -hmm. but he's very theory, you know, studies, and he's an introvert. Yeah, so yeah. that's kind of what he does. But playing guitar has brought him out of his shell. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of, we kind of adopt them, you know, it's mm -hmm. like all the musicians, we consider them a part of our family there. And he went to Berkeley School of Music and aced his audition. Because yeah. I was dying to find out how it was. And he's like, yeah, man, it was surprisingly easy. And I'm going easy. Mm. Well, that's a testament to how well you know your instrument, right. you know. Um, we have this other girl that started... Uh, she is 16 now. Her mm -hmm. name is Jess. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. And she is, wow. When she's 15, she had just picked up a guitar mm -hmm. and self-taught. And again, you know, an introvert. She's that girl that kind of, you know, in school is kind of by herself mm -hmm. or, you know, the pretty girls, you know, don't bring you in the clique. Right. But Jessie is... Number one, she's a beautiful girl. She's got a beautiful soul. And when you kind of get that person out of her, she is hysterical. Mm -hmm. But her folks, her mom and dad are absolutely amazing. They're supportive of what she does. Mm -hmm. And the thing I love about her, and that's kind of, I'm like, Jesse, you're killing me. Because she'll show up at jam night with like, these two songs that I haven't played forever mm -hmm. and they're ridiculously hard, mm -hmm. you know, but she gets up and just shreds these things on guitar. Yeah. And that's I said to her, I go, well, how long do you practice these things? She goes, well, you know, I'll just kind of think of a song and then I come home after school and just go up into my room and work on it for like two hours. 
And then she comes out and just shreds it in front of everybody. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing with that, which I thought was really cool, was, um, you know, her folks, they're so appreciative. Mm -hmm. And they knew with her coming out that they, she found her niche mm -hmm. because that brought her out of her shell. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the coolest things about Jam Night is when I was growing up, we didn't have anything like this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I talked a little earlier about hating to practice. But the thing of it is, if I had this opportunity to do something, that's the kind of stuff that makes you want to practice. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And I think if I had had these, this opportunity to do that, I would just be on a different level plan. That's the external you know? motivation again. You yeah. Know, jam just night. like yeah. you talked mm -hmm. about. Yeah. So. Yeah, the, and that that's really cool. I know with with Jesse, the the first time I saw her, she came out and did War Pigs, right? And she's done it, and then so now I've seen her, you know, do it four times or something. And fourth or fifth time, I mean, she was she was really shredding the crap out of it. I mean, it was it was and pretty good. And you just good, see the level know? build every and time. That, they that's get really up there. that's really neat. I mean, especially obviously the 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 really young people like her. But I know for myself, you know, because I've been here eight years now in town and and so there was a lot of us that that some of the guys had just come out of UMKC and you know we were all kind of around the same age that 25 to 30 kind of age and now I'm seeing all of these guys are now the band leaders and yeah. playing and the guys playing in town and and you, just like you're saying it's really fun to see everybody's progression and you and you get to see it in real time because they keep coming out to your jams. Yeah, I mean, you're, fun. you're not seeing these guys too much, like two years later. I mean, you might be seeing them very or periodically through the year and stuff. So I bet that's really fun. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's stuff like that, that makes doing this jam. Cause you know, that's, it takes Scotty for it. So he lives out in Raytown, you know, so he's driving all the way out and, you know, it takes him a while to set up all the gear. We got two rigs, he's tuning guitars, you know, but the amount of work that goes into it, it's it's very rewarding yeah, and it's yeah. fun, mm -hmm. you know, and that's one thing I look forward to every week because I get to see all these jammers come out and get to play music and, you know, that's what feeds the soul. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really, it's it's a very... Well, I'll put it this way. I'm very blessed and I'm very um, fortunate to have the opportunity to be a part of this. Because mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's definitely a very unique thing where it's more of an interactive evening. Um, we kind of coin it karaoke mm -hmm. because uh, we know we've got yeah. the books with all the 500 mm -hmm. songs. So yeah. people can sign up and sing, but it's with a live band. Right. You know, so it's a different format, but... It being an interactive evening, musicians like yourself, you come up and, and we've got songs. And so, you know, you've got a whole group of different musicians up there. Um, and it's just, it's a very organic thing, man. And it's yeah. cool. And so that that's one of the questions that we've talked about a lot on the show so far about open jams and what what some people are expecting, what others are expecting. You know, there's there, I've gotten a lot of feedback on what people would say about that topic but you just mentioned mentioned something interesting about jerry and that that sometimes i i think the jam can get 
get similar to that. That's just funny that you said that about somebody who do, who doesn't play in a band who they've sang that song at home a lot. But you know what's better than karaoke? Well, karaoke with a live band. I mean, yeah. there's nothing that beats it. You know, I mean, and so that is kind of neat that you guys give them a chance to do that, um, to go, come up and play, even if they you know aren't super familiar with playing with the band. And yeah. they they sometimes when people do that, I found that they they forget about solos. You know, they're so used to just singing, and then when Scotty <laughs> right. Scotty looks over at me or looks over at somebody else, okay, it's time for the solo. And then you just keep singing. You know, and it's it is what it is. <laughs> But, uh, but that's what makes it fun. Yeah, yeah, that is what makes it fun. So, like, this is the question that I always find fun to ask because, uh, um, but, like, you mentioned a couple minutes ago about people playing the same songs over and over. Is there is there anything about jams in general that you would that you would change, maybe, or stuff that, like, is maybe a little bit of a pet peeve? Or Yeah, like... you know, it's kind of... I wouldn't say pet peeve. But mention as many names as possible. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, let me tell you. Yeah. No, but you know, I think the thing that, um, and I try to encourage it on a weekly basis mm -hmm. because, you know, to just get up live, if you're not used to performing in a band and in that situation, well, I'll give you um, Jeff. Mm -hmm. He's a guy that comes out and. I love the hell out of that guy mm. because he started and he was one of the most timid people mm. that I had met. And it's, you know, I think that's one of the very rewarding things um, for the position I'm in there is, you know, when it's not just the kids, but you see the parents bringing them out. Mm. And, you know, I'm always the first to go up and I thank the mom and dads for supporting them yeah. and giving them the opportunity to do this because, you know, again, you watch them flourish and really grow mm -hmm. and getting back to Jeff, it was the same thing. And I kept telling him, man, you did great. You did great. You just give him encouragement. And I'm like, don't worry, we're going to get you back up next week and get you back up. Mm -hmm. And you look at this guy's confidence level yeah. and it is a 180 from mm -hmm. where he started. Um, and guys like Jeff and yourself, I mean, that's one of the things that is unique about Jam Night um, is the fact that every week, you know, you guys will push it. Mm -hmm. Hey, let's learn this song. And, you know, okay, if Scotty can get to the homework and do it, cool. We got a brand new song in the repertoire that we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the thing that, you know, there's the, the challenge to do in a Jam Night and I look at it in this direction is it's kind of like being a radio programmer mm -hmm. um, where based on the crowd, you're feeding off of the crowd um, because it's one of those things that if you don't stack, you know, jammers in an order that's going to have a flow throughout the evening, yeah. it can take one person to clean out the room yeah, yeah. and you've completely lost the momentum. So that's, that's harder than it looks, doesn't isn't it? It's it's challenging, yeah, you know, because yeah. you always have someone coming up going, Am I next? Am right, I next? Yeah. And it's it's tough because mm -hmm. you have a clipboard where everybody signs up, but just because you signed up first doesn't mean you're gonna get up first, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's the thing, I have to kind of read the vibe of the room to see, okay, we need a little bit of a lull now, so let's take this acoustic guy and put them up here, right, yeah. you know, or we've got, a, you know, an acapella group or whatever the case is. A couple people just doing, 
you know, a solo or Aca- so. Acapella group, gross. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Your Oak Ridge boys coming yeah, up, you right. know. Um, but, but you guys are doing it on a purpose. You know, you're sending yeah, people up a, there and it's There's it's kind of a method notes. to my madness yeah. when I do that. Um, because, again, the key to doing these things when you're in a club scene is, and that's what will give you longevity. You know, obviously we get paid to do this. Mm-hmm. But we also need to make sure the doors of the venue stay open. Yeah. So by controlling the flow of the evening... You know, you're going to get, okay, we're slowing it down. It gives people a chance to go to the bar, yeah. get drinks, you know. So it's it's kind of um, a breathing, livable thing right. that you just, you know, me being uh, the position I am, I'm very cognizant of that. You yeah. know, I watch everybody coming and going. Mm-hmm. I'll know when to kind of fire people up and if they're starting to drag. And I, That's the best part about mm-hmm. my job there is there's no rules Mm -hmm. and it's kind of one of those things you know i always joke around with everybody i'm like you know if i haven't offended anybody i apologize don't worry by the end of the night i will be sure to offend you you know so it's just kind of one of those things but i can't think of a cooler place and we get people coming in from all out of town they're like this place is awesome but you've got it's a small dive bar Mm -hmm. and within those four walls it gives people the liberty to just let their hair down. Yeah, and that's great. Anything and everything goes. I think that's that's you've just hit on something that I think is one of the main problems with a lot of bands is that that recognition of it. I love how you took you said like the night is like a thing. You know, it's like a living organism or something. Exactly. Just like a song is a living organism in this weird way. It's really you know <laughs> it's really heady and deep to think about it like that. But it's like you being very aware of the vibe of the audience and not just being kind of obsessed with, you know, we're going to play our stuff and, you know, we're this awesome band and you guys are just going to deal with it. And that, you know, cause you're taking a totally different attitude from yeah. that and, and you're really aware of your, you know, aware of your, and I you think know, that's where owners and stay, you know, yeah. as well. And, and how we, and not just for the owners, but for yourself as well. And how we can make this the coolest night possible. I think a lot of bands either don't think about that or purposefully like don't care about that. Yeah. You know, and, mm-hmm. and that's, that's probably really wise why your jam night's going really well. Yeah. It's because you think about and stuff like that. You know, it's, it, and I think that's why uh, Brett, Scotty and I work so well. Because it's, we all have different takes on the evening and how it runs. Scotty is being the rain man of instruments that he is, you know, he's always focused on the song. What song are we doing? What keys it in? Who's, you know, um, who's playing what? So his focus is kind of like a tunnel vision on that stage. And that's why they call me Captain Chaos, because I'm just like all over the place. And I'll be like, all right, no, 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 this guy's coming up, we're doing this. That's a good name for you, by the way. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, it's funny because I found a shirt this past Christmas. Mm -hmm. It says the Chaos Coordinator on it. Yeah, the Chaos Coordinator. (laughs) Well, and and talk about that, too, because that me and my my buddy Scott that I play with, uh, we're we're really opposite in that fact. He's he's probably way more on your wavelength, a little bit more shotgun and like nice. and and I'm I'm probably too too analytical, too organized, but but in a way we like really balance each other out really good because I need to be 
I need to let go too. And he needs yeah. to be like, Rob, if we start at 7.04 instead of 7 o'clock, is the world going to end? You know, like, <laughs> right. you know, he he kind of calms me down a little bit from being like, okay, yeah, hey, we got to start. Oh, we got our check sheet and like, you know, and, and, you know, he's like, dude, you know, right. but there's some times where he's off in La La Land and I got to kind of reel him in. Yeah. And so, mm -hmm. so it seems like you guys kind of balance each other out pretty well yeah I mean, would you say uh, I would agree with that wholeheartedly yeah that's cool man and and so and another thing that you said that I thought was one thing that you do really well which is another thing that a lot of bands don't do well is the idea of stage presence and a lot of musicians especially because I grew up dealing with a lot of like college people you know like uh what do you call it like academia type people who are taught to play music beautifully but they don't know anything about like telling jokes to an audience in the middle of your set gotcha. right and yeah. it, like because you do a great job of all that filler stuff thanks man you know yeah. just like uh you well, know hey we got drink specials and oh what do we got up oh my god look who's here you know like you're just a da -da 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 -da. well and that's kind of how i approach that um and i guess basically the easiest way to break it down to ridiculous would be if you're driving in your car and you're listening to the radio and a song is over and then there's just radio silence and you're sitting there right. and yeah. what do you do? You're going, you know, you're kind of hanging on yeah. the edge. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I look at it um, kind of from that approach, but then also again, kind of, you know, touching on, you know, how I'm watching everything going on. The thing of it is, is you don't want to lose momentum yes. on an evening yeah. like that. So, that's the thing is, you know, when these songs are kind of ending, you know, you've got, hey, you know, give it up for Rob and, and mm. Diamond Dave and, yeah. and whoever it is. And then you just kind of keep because you're going to have changeovers. And I consider that dead air, yeah. you know, when you're doing that. So I'll leave, I always kind of have, all right, we transition into a song. Um, yeah, you got the house music going immediately. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. just kind mm -hmm. of, I approach it kind of like a radio station and yeah. programming. And the cool thing with that is, um, just kind of getting back to the no rules deal, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's, it'll be like one of those things where, you know, the band's playing, taking care of business mm -hmm. and then transitioning into, okay, we got so-and-so, you know, four people coming up next and you're trying to coordinate them, and I'll play like Baby Got Back or mm -hmm. something like that. Next thing you know, you look over and there's four girls dancing on the bar, mm -hmm. you know? So again, just kind of understanding who's there mm -hmm. and how to cater to them yeah. to just because, again, it's just one of those things. That is the power of music. And it is one of those things, you know, and it was funny, Vinny, um, who uh, mm -hmm. runs and is the glue at Jerry's Bait Shop. We were talking the other day, and I said to him, and I said, name me something else that you can remember exactly where you were, mm -hmm. what you were doing, mm -hmm. and when it was when you first heard a song that really touched you inside. Mm -hmm. And I go, that's the power of music. You know, music is one of those things that it, it gets inside people. It gives them the freedom to kind of let their hair down. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I, I always kind of coin it um, with folks coming up to sing. 
and you get the people that walk in and, you know, they're with their co-workers and they're all sitting there and they're having a beer and some food and just kind of taking everything in and you watch as they progress through the night, mm -hmm. they start getting more relaxed, you yeah. know, and I'll be like, all right, drink a couple more cans of courage, you know, and we'll get you on up here. And next thing you know, by the end of the night, they're up singing mm -hmm. and they're walking out of that place you know, with something memorable. You know, they go to the work the next day. Man, I got up last night and jammed with this live band and it was a blast. So that's what we try to create. We try to create an environment that is very nurturing for musicians. It's encouraging for musicians because, you know, you can get up there and fuck up all you want. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, you know, to, to quote Dwight Yoakam and Sling Blade, you got to play through that shit, Randy. Mm -hmm. You know, but yeah. um, that's the thing is just because they screw up, it's like, okay, the first step is getting up there. Mm -hmm. The second step is, you know, kind of doing that. So um, we kind of provide that environment where it's encouraging for people to come back. Mm -hmm. And we see that. And then, you know, just having fun you know people just come in and, and forget about their problems and they walk out of there and they're just I, I think with this the amount of different genres and songs that we have you know and I think that's where a lot of these jams kind of get pigeonholed mm. is they're oh it's a blues jam all yeah, they do is yeah. play blues and you're going how many you know blues deals you know and we're playing everything from hair metal to classic rock to you know, jazz to country to hip hop, you know? So it is, like you said earlier, a very eclectic mix. It is. You know? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what is fun because you guys will get a couple of the blues type jammers once in a while. They'll come up and do something and somebody else will come up and play Folsom, you know, where you guys kind of go country on them for a minute and then somebody yeah. will come up and do a, do some 90s. 90s alternative stuff and then then somebody like myself will come up and do mrs robinson or some 70s and that's stuff what makes and it great yeah. always keep them or guessing. some chicks will come up and do some like really uh ballady pop songs i mean it's really like all over the place and that that is really fun there there's no other rock jam in town i mean you guys are it you know there's there's a bunch of blues jazz country but that's really neat that that uh that you guys are are there doing that kind of thing um so, so talk, talk to me a little bit about playing, playing drums specifically. You talked mm -hmm. a little bit about, uh, what's maybe I could answer this, I guess, is what is, what is something that you're like, like maybe sort of a technical thing that you're thinking about while you're playing? Yeah. Well, um, the thing of it is, is like on the drum kit. I was never formally taught. Mm -hmm. It was something where, you know, just uh, people talk about playing by ear. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I approach it. Um, so, you know, I know, and it's, it's difficult at jam night because there's no back monitor by the drums. Mm -hmm. So to hear, it's very difficult. But when I'm playing... I am listening to the song in my head. Yeah, sure. So I know kind of where to go, you know, things like that. And, you know, the only things that we kind of mix it up with is the endings of the songs. Yeah. If we're going to transition into something else. So um, that's kind of jam night. Um, when I played, I played with um, 
they were signed to Columbia Records in 89. Uh, the name of the band was called The Front. Mm-hmm. And they were signed. Doc McGee, who manages Kiss and Bon Jovi and Skid mm-hmm. Row and all, um, he signed that band. And um, so when I moved out to Kansas City, I met Mike Green, who is was the lead guitar player for that band. Mm-hmm. And at the time, um, Shane Miller, who was the drummer, and we kind of put a little project together. We just get together and jam and everything. Well, Mike and I just kind of really stuck together. And that's how the Shanks kind of came about. Mm-hmm. And um, But that was after, before we decided to put the front back together again. Mm-hmm. And um, the original singer-songwriter, Michael Fernano, he lived in New York at the time. And Mike Green's brother, Todd Green, was a bass player. So we would just get together um, either at my house or uh, Green's house and just as a trio, just writing songs mm-hmm. and playing. Um, and then it was interesting because uh, at the time, Michael's girlfriend, Jamie, her job was she was the site locator for Photography Magazine. Mm-hmm. So they would travel the world. Um, and they happened to be coming back from China and stopped off in LA before going back to New York. So he's like, hey, I'm gonna pop in and see what Doc's doing. So he went in and he's like, dude, what have you been up to? I had just been listening to your records the last couple days, thinking about you, mm-hmm. and was gonna give you a call. So um, Michael got back to New York and called Green, said, hey, I ran into Doc, you know, um, what have you been up to? And Mike's like, well, we've been kind of doing this thing here and Michael had been uh, working on a bunch of stuff up in New York and me being the concert promoter I was at that time um, I'm like cool I'm just gonna start booking dates and everything so Michael would fly out we'd have a couple days rehearsal and then just go out for a run mm-hmm. and uh, so that was you know the the fun thing with doing that um, it's just kind of when I play drums I, I just kind of get lost in, in the instrument, yeah. you know, and it's just kind of one of those things that just, it makes me tick, you know? That's cool. Yeah. I know, yeah, I know for me, I'm, I'm a little bit different from everybody, from other people because like, I just played so long, it's like breathing now, you know, I don't, I, yeah. I'm not thinking about my technique, I mean, that's like, and so I'm, I'm, I'm way too heady in it, you know, because I can have time to be heady in it, I do, and so I'm like, you know, I'm just way, you know, way too deep in the song. Like I'm not, I'm not lost in the song at all. I'm, I'm extremely present. You know, when I, I'm thinking, okay, got bridge coming up. All right, I'm gonna hold off here on this verse. I'm gonna come back. You know, I'm going through all these silly, stupid right. games in my head, but that can get me in trouble too. And <laughs> but there, this, the something that I just thought of to think about, because drums fascinate me, because that's exactly opposite of what I do. You know, like melody instrument soloer. And you guys are kind of like holding down the fort, you know, drums and bass sort of. One thing that always cracks me up about rock, especially in especially in regards to drummers, is that there are a lot of random little tags and hits in rock. And that really surprises me because like blues and jazz, for example, especially the drummers, 
there isn't always hits and stuff. It's kind of shuffle, go, right, and then you end. Yeah. And then jazz. It's like Latin, go, and then we end. You know, there's no, but in rock, there's all sorts of little stops. Yeah. Well, it's not even just the pocket, but there's all these little, uh, these little stops and little like extra four bar tag in the middle of the song, and then we're back into the verse. Well, the, the shuffle guys are just going. Right, They're right. just watching, okay, shuffle, shuffle, up, end, all right, boom, and then they end, you know? And, <laughs> yes. but, but in rock, there's all these extra little digon, 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 gan, digon, boom, and then we're back, you know? And so that, that always cracks me up that when people talk about how easy, you know, rock is to do, you know? And it's, I'm like, yeah. well, compared to just shuffle blues it's a lot harder to do, yeah. you know? I mean, there's, there's stuff to remember. Like it's you were more, talking about it's memory. It's more structured, yeah. you know? And, um, you know, that's one of the things... Because um, you guys do a great job of that. I mean, you guys, like... You guys hit those. Yeah, on, and all, on this stu- On this ridiculous uh, set list you guys got on right, all of those. Right. Like, you guys do the song pretty damn close to the original, and yeah. you're doing well, all thanks, of those man. hits, you know? And that's kind of, I guess... Um, and I always kind of bust Scotty's chops about that because I'm like, I'll look at them like jazz drummers, you know, um, because they always want to, you know, and that's the difference between like a rock drummer and a jazz drummer is like you just said, you know, rock is, you know, in the pocket, it's being cognizant of where the changes are, um, you know, the, the little nuances, like mm-hmm. you said, in the song, um, and like I'll have you know song or songs that where Scotty will jump back mm-hmm. and play. He's like doing his jazz, you know, putting all this stuff in, and I'm going, you can't do that in rock. And that's that's something that does get under my skin yeah, is I'm sure. like going, okay, yeah. you know, this isn't. And he and and we we both know him. It's it's not a it's not. He's. He's doing that because he can. He, yeah. he, know, he knows he's not supposed to do that. Yeah. But he's and just completely bored and he can't and even help it. You know? That's the fun thing about yeah. jam night yeah. is anything and everything goes and nobody cares. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. as long as you're having fun. Yeah. You know, and that's just it. It's, it's the freedom to get out. Like I said, let your hair down. Try out, you know, new stuff. And I think that's one of... Kind of, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. One of the most um, positive attributes, I guess, is probably a good way um, with Jerry's, is within those four walls, there is a comfort mm-hmm. to know that if you screw up, it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's not like it's expected. But it's one of those deals where, you know, you go to some of these venues and you're screwed up and you're going, what the hell is that? You know, and that's just it. You know, you play through it. I think that is one of the um, best things about the jam night, um, but also just the venue in itself is that it gives a building confidence for these musicians to come in and want to come back yeah. without the judging, yeah. you know? Yeah, sure. And and that's one thing that I've noticed because I, I like to do a lot of different kinds of styles. And uh, one of the, another one of the reasons for these shows is to talk about those differences because yeah. it, it's just fascinating to me. It really is. And like, especially again, coming from academia and everybody's, 
a little bit, you know, more stuffy, like, you there know, you that, that's that, a good word for it, you yeah. know, and some of the jazz guys can definitely get that way, for sure, like Blue Room and Jerry's, not the same, you know, it's, exactly, it, it, man. and it's, the players in general are different, but also the, the venue is different, but also the, what what is it called, the, the intrinsic nature of rock and jazz is different too. That's yes. another thing that I've been fascinated by is I always thought of myself as a rock guy, whatever that means. But well, because I've listened to rock a lot uh, since I was little, but my vibe playing is not rock. And I've realized that in the last couple of <laughs> years, I'm too, I'm too uptight with it. I'm too trying to be perfectionist. I'm too, you know, I, to me, like I want the song to be awesome. That's yeah. that's my number one, but other people, fun is number one. Right. That's right. totally different. Well, you know, I and think that's that's where... something I can do. Be- I can do better at when I when I not just when I go into that kind of music, but it just in general is trying to remember that this is supposed to be fun. My my always argument is that when you nail it really really bad, I mean you nail the crap out of the song it gets more fun. And that's the, that's the yeah. only argument that I can make around my And I think that's a but... very valid one because, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the many reasons why I love it when you come out. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, like I said a little earlier, I've never kind of comprehended the theory side of music. And that's where Scotty and, you know, Brett, I was mm-hmm. talking about the 145 and, you know, mm-hmm. and I'll joke around with that all the time. So to have structured (laughs) musicians makes it even more enjoyable for a guy like me playing because I know, and that causes me to step my game up. Mm -hmm. I guess I'll put it that way. Um, But like you said, it just sounds phenomenal, you know, and it really, you know, songs can sound great, but songs can sound phenomenal. Yeah. And when you have... That kind of, you know, uh, lineup where it's like you and a Scotty and, you know, where you guys, you know, it's just right there, right there. That's what makes, you know, the people in the crowd go, whoa, mm. you know, and that's, that's another amazing reward. You that's know? the balancing thing too that you that, that I think you can help, and I think Scotty and Brett have a really good balance of that. They, yeah. they want it to be really good quality music, but they also understand this this other thing with this night is that it's supposed to be fun, yeah. and we're you know, and so like that that's just something I've always like because even the jazz guys they they understand that everybody who gets up at a jam isn't going to play things perfectly. They they get it. They were all. They were all 22, you know, yeah. I mean, they, so, so yeah. they understand that you, you got to get up there and suck for a bit, you know, the first 10 times you get up there and you, you suck and you get a little better. So they, they get that part, but definitely it's, it's something that I know myself, I'm still trying to wrap my head around a little bit is trying to, um, I know my dad talked to me about this, speaking of stands. So we'd play in our band and I'd have my stand there, but I'd pretty much be blocking all of the stuff I'm doing to the audience, you know? And he was just like, man, you got to move that stand because that's what's so cool is everybody sees your bow going wild and crazy. But even myself, because I was, because of my, you know, 400 violin lessons I've had, you know? When I play, I don't go wild and crazy because we were taught to do it really efficiently and do the da da da, da <laughs> right. and like, you know, and you you'll do instead of 
you know, and you're, you know, you're doing a, a Trans-Siberian Orchestra and you're running all over the, you know, you're going crazy with Swirling the... Swirling yeah, exactly. at him, you know. <laughs> all the showy kind of stuff, which yeah. is what rock is great for. The, the vibe of rock is... The glam. Is, uh, yeah, so that, that's something that I know that, that just watching you guys... Um, like I said, you're, you're, you're kind of really good at that, of having a good stage presence. You know, I have, a, I have a music stage presence where I'm up there and I'm not nervous. You know, that's part of stage presence. But, you know, I'm playing, a, I'm a classical player trying to play rock. Right. That's what it is, you know. And, and you guys are actual rock players, you know. I mean, and you, you sort of get the, the whole, what's the word? I mean, you, you get the, the whole purpose like the purpose of rock is like kind of like rebellion, have fun, and I and, and I'm more rules, you know, yeah, you know, right. like life's about rules, you know. I mean that's stupid. And I'm right? the rule yeah. breaker. Yeah, you know? you're the rule breaker. Well, and I think next time what we need to do is figure out something we can put on the tip of your bow that we can light on fire. Yeah, you know, right on fire playing, to the wood you know? bow, right? <laughs> How about light it up? There you go. I, we'll I like get the you a metal something yes. and put the little Gene Simmons petroleum on the end and <laughs> you can just light it up, man. That stuff, what do you, they put in sternos. Yeah, you right. Know? <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not down with the whole fire thing. Right. Light thing, yeah, okay. As long as it does, it's not, it's not hot. But uh, yeah, that's cool, man. Um, so last big thing I want to talk to you about is you were talking to me about being a promoter. Mm -hmm. talk, talk, talk a little bit yeah, about what um, you Yeah, that was that. an interesting thing. So when I moved out to Kansas City, um, I kind of worked in the club scene, and there was a big restaurateur named Nabil. And I basically ran all of his operations for every restaurant that we had. And... You know, it was, in the restaurant business, it, it's very difficult because you are working over 100 hours a week. You know, you have no life. You're married to the place. Well, he had me going around all of our different places that we had, so I really had no life. You know, I had a great bank account, but, um, you know, you kind of sitting there and you're going, and it was kind of my wake-up call paradigm shift, whatever you want to call it. And um, one of our venues was the Overland Brewing Company. Mm. And, you know, you have a restaurant, and that was the thing I used to fight with the uh, Nabil a lot. And I'm like, man, great. But when the kitchen closes at 10 o'clock, that's when everybody leaves the restaurant. So revenue is within liquor. Mm. Revenue is within entertainment. Mm. So let's start doing that here. And so literally we took a whole section of seating out, put in pool tables, and I started bringing live music. We had Sonny Kenner and, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of fun bands and stuff come out and perform. And then we got the late night bar business coming in and it's just a, just a money maker. Well, there's only so many times when you're ball and chain to a restaurant and you're sitting there and you're watching these guys up there performing, having a blast going, God, I miss that. I miss that. I, you know, mm -hmm. I need that. So, um, we wound up, Nabil and I had parted ways and one of our, we had a fine dining restaurant down on the plaza called Charlie's on the Hill. Mm -hmm. And one of the partners was Dave McQuitty 
who owned uh, United Entertainment and United Media. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was like going to be doing a transition, and I went to Dave, and I'm like, hey, I want to learn the business. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you don't got to pay me much, but just teach me. And it was one of those things where he brought me in and taught me about booking shows and everything. And the thing of it was, which was um, really cool for me, and I'll never forget this. So uh, Mike Rand with um, ATI, Ashley Talent International, they represented bands like Warrant. Um, uh, They had, what were some of their stuff on their roster? Enough's Enough. You know, bands like that. Um, and growing up, listening to all these guys, and I'm like, damn, I can meet the bands now, you know, and hang with them and everything. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, it's um, it's a whole different way of looking at music, you know, and you're, and you're going in, and I'll never forget, um, and I am indebted to this guy, Mike Rand, with ATI, we had a run of, um, it was Warrant coming through. And, you know, when you're making these offer sheets, there's a couple different ways you can pay national acts. You can do a flat fee. Um, the majority of it would be, you basically come in and you calculate all your show expenses, what media is gonna be, you know, what you're doing. And then you get a tally of that and then, so you pay the band like a small guarantee, two thousand whatever. And then after the uh, costs, hard fixed cost you have, the band gets eighty percent of the revenue. And then we would typically go in and negotiate a sting on their merchandise sales. So these bands would walk away based on, you know, the venue capacity ticket sales, things like that, with really decent money because mm-hmm. we would promote the crap out of them. Right. Well, Warren, <laughs> I wanted to see that band, so I shot this freaking stupid, stupid offer to get them mm-hmm. to come to the venue. And I remember I was, I got it out, it was like a little after six, because you're dealing with, you know, they were on the East Coast and then you got you know, all the booking agencies, Monterey, you know, APA, all the um, big ones, you know, on the West Coast. So you're dealing with different time zones. And um, I'll never forget, I sent that to Mike. And Mike calls me back in 15 minutes. And he goes, Craig, I know you're new at this. And he goes, man, I'm going to teach you. And I'm going, great. And he goes, listen, off the record, if the manager for Warren and the guys from Warren ever heard me do this, I would get fired. Mm-hmm. He goes, but the thing of it is, is um, you guys got to make money, the band's got to make money, but we got to keep the venue in business mm-hmm. because that's how yeah. the relationship works. Mm-hmm. So he goes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a small guarantee and then do your whatever your expenses are and then... So he basically went in, saved my ass mm-hmm. with my boss, and you know, and we had just a long working, yeah. great relationship from there. So, um, yeah, it's a different aspect, you yeah. know. 
uh, you look at watch those shows like the behind the music and everything. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, it's that and then some. Yeah. You know, yeah. on there, and it's so, it's a very hard life mm-hmm. to live. Um, my ex-wife, I met her. I was doing a Cinderella show, mm-hmm. and when we decided to get married, I knew that doing this was not going to be conducive for a successful marriage. So I needed to find something yeah. that I can get into, and that's where right. real estate kind of came into play. But um, we had a private wedding with just her family and my family. We got married down the Cayman Islands. Mm-hmm. But the whole week before that, I was on the road with Vince Neal from Molly Crew. Yeah, wow. And I was ready to check into rehab by the end of that week, you yeah, know. Right, and I'm like, yeah. now I got a wedding to go to. <laughs> so, but it was, you know, it's it's in a very exciting. Um, industry, the thing with promoting is you really have to be cognizant of your numbers. Mm. You have to be cognizant of how to market a show, whether it's going to be print media, radio, mm. you know, how do you buy spots to promote a show on radio airtime, the different slots to do that. Um, when you're taking ads out in print media, the size of the ad, what page do you go on, where do you position the ad. So yeah. there's a lot to it um, that, it again, there's a lot that goes on under the scenes that people just don't realize. Yeah. You know, there's a method to the madness. Um, my genres that I had, I would um, book like uh, local and kind of regional talent on the off nights at a lot of our venues, and we had venues throughout the Midwest. We had Far East as Columbia. Um, we had a venue in Wichita. We had a number of venues here in Kansas City, one in Omaha, one in Lincoln, a couple in Jobs. So, yeah. and that was kind of my deal was I would see these touring artists, and I'm going, okay, they're going from Denver to Chicago, and they've got an off night. So and they're coming right through here. You got yeah, it. Yeah, and I'm yeah, like, hey, you yeah. want to pick up a show, make some extra money, boom. So these guys yeah. would do that. Um, and my genres were I had blues um, on the national level, mm-hmm. and then I had uh, classic rock and an 80s hair metal. Mm-hmm. So they were, it made for some very interesting stories. Oh, sure. I'll put it that way. And so, like, that, that's what I think is. A thing that's happening with a lot of bands in this town is that, you know, and I'm just generalizing a a level here, but I think there's so many bands in town that can easily re- go into some bar and get your three, four hundred, you know, I mean, any yeah. bar will just, okay, you know, and they'll, they'll give you the gig and see how you work. And that's why Kansas City is nice, because a lot of it is still sort of Wild West out here, you know, where you can kind of go into the, any bar and if you, you know, you can kind of talk them into it and it's fine, but... I think so many bands are trying to get to that 800, 2000 kind of a range with their gigs, you know, where they're playing, you know, a, a Lou Allen's for 800 or a opening up at Knuckleheads kind of a level of a yeah. band, you know, and and so like that that's where I'm really confused with myself because there's there's so many people in town that can put on just a fine show. They're fine, you know, and definitely even 50-year-old guys. I mean, they've been playing for 30 years. They're not, they're not good, really, you know, like, these guys are good players. But 
I think what runs them into trouble is that they don't think about all that stuff that you just talked about with, you know, what, what are we going to advertise on Facebook's fine, but it's not near good enough. Right. I mean, right. That, that's not near the hundred percent of what you're doing. And like, that's where I think a lot of bands think they know how to get to that 1500, 2000 a show kind of stuff or get to a point where they can guarantee 40 out at their show every time. Yeah. You know, there, there's some people in town that can do that. Samantha can do that when mm -hmm. she plays her Smith fish. Um, I'm sure trampled underfoot was at that place where they can guarantee. Yeah, yeah. Daniel. Yeah. And, and, and so like, do, do you think that that's maybe one of the problems is people don't think about all that business yeah, it's crap? A, it's, or a, it's, it's a big... The main thing is, which kind of gets um, like repeat business for a band at a bar, uh, is, you know, a, a lot of it is having a confidence level about what you guys are bringing. Uh -huh. And that's where, you know, you can have really great musicians and they get up there and... They do their thing, but where's the show? Yeah, you know that's and not good enough anymore. Yeah. That's right, mm -hmm. and it's how do you set yourself apart? Is it you got a killer like? Well, just a case in point. The guys, real good friends of mine, um, from the Zeros, and they are an '80s, uh, basically jukebox band, mm -hmm. but their shows are a blast. Yeah, you know um, they're high energy. Um, they've got, you know, light boxes on the floor shining up, girls are jumping on there, dancing around and it's just a real fun vibe. And that's the thing that kind of takes that band to the next level. You know, it starts with the musicianship and if you're solid there, that's your foundation on which to build on because it's okay. Great musicians, great music. We know we're going to have an evening of really palatable music yeah. to the ear. But how are we getting entertained? What's the, you know, what you are know? they seeing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind and, of... And that comes back to what you're doing in between songs and, mm -hmm. and how, how you're so good at dealing with the audience and stuff. I mean, it's all Thanks. it's all one big picture, right? Yeah. I mean, it's all, yeah. And that's kind of what you... The goal is, is to make it effortless, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I look at things is, you know, everybody that comes out, we're just like a fun group of you know kids you went to school with so it's just running your jib and talking to them and mm -hmm. you know they feel engaged they feel a part of what's going on mm -hmm. up on the stage you know and it just kind of sucks them in um and that is kind of what gets the bands to the different levels of where they're at you know i always i always tell people if you're um doing a corporate event one of the things i always do is i want to visit before any shows booked with the person in charge. Tell me about your event. What is it? You know, what time is everybody coming in? What's the theme of the event? You know, mm -hmm. are there any songs that we can learn that would be appropriate for the night? And then obviously with our set list, we can't cater to everybody's liking. So give me yeah. some stuff that you want to hear some big band, stuff like that. So we'll, I'll make a playlist that will have that kind of running in and out. So it caters to everybody within the dynamic of the crowd yeah. um, versus when you're playing clubs. Mm -hmm. And the, the club deal, that whole aspect is the more those registers are ringing, 
the more you are coming, just charting up the top of the list to be called back to play there because it's, you know, a cohesive thing. You know, bands up there to entertain these people and get them going. But it's also the way I look at it. If I'm not selling booze, you're going to lose, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, the more booze that we can sell, the happier the owner is. What do you, what do you think about the guys that, because I've talked to many people about this exact topic, and, and what, what I'll hear a lot from people is they'll talk about, especially when I was trying to run my own band about eight years ago, you know, I was, if, if you wanted to call it two sides of the musician side and then the club owner side is basically what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That's how I conceptualized it in my head. And I was 100% with the musicians, you know, these greedy club owners, da 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 da. And I went into my whole thing, you know, in my head. But now I, I sort definitely am understanding everything that you just said on a, at least a conceptual level. What would. What would you say to the guys that would say stuff like that? Like, you know, yeah. these well, greedy owners and, and they I only care about money. And da, 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 get da, da, a lot da, da. of them. Because when I was at United booking stuff on the local level, and that's before everything was going to kind of online, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I still, the, the funny thing is, I'm a music hoarder. Mm-hmm. I keep music from, yeah. you know, all the local bands to everything. I mean, you see my collection of CDs. It's mm-hmm. stupid. Yeah. But the thing that I would try to sit down with the bands that were going and playing. And I'm going, guys, you can't just drop me off a promo kit and expect the venue to take the ball and run with it. Mm-hmm. That's not their job. Their job is fill in the spot with a band that's going to bring people in hmm. and they're going to sell booze. And that's the thing that the musicians hate, right? That That's where they're, that's where... That's the disconnect. They, that's the disconnect. And, they, and that's where they're going to say that somebody like yourself has a disconnect where they're like, it's not our job to bring you your entire crowd. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm on both now. I like, it seems like to me, like, that it's... It's a mutual, or it's a it's a symbiotic it's a relationship. It's yeah. a partnership, you know. And like, I totally understand because we played a bunch of shows where we didn't do a whole lot, but I can pretty honestly say that the bar didn't either, you know. And there was four people in this place, yeah, four customers, you know. And like, and we're like, you know, it, you know, this is a Friday night in this place, yeah. you know. And there's four people in this, you know, and like, and so like that's the one that where the musicians obviously get frustrated. But at the same time, I can see it from the owner's perspective of how does this hurt your band for your band to not promote yourself? Well, and How is this hurting you in any way? It's only good for you guys to promote yourself too as the band. Well, yeah, and right? to I mean, piggyback on that is, and this is kind of the way I approach things, is if the venue is not doing well, so your band, mm. you go in, it's... Moe's bar, whatever, mm. and you got a gig there, and you guys go in and you kick ass, they're making money. What's the first thing at the end of the night? When are you guys available next? We want to book you back in yeah. here. When the band isn't doing their job, and again, you know, venues have regulars and, and whatever, but it's your job to get as many people in there having a good time, throwing a party. That's mm. kind of how yeah, I look at yeah. it. Because what I tell them is, if you're not bringing people in, this bar's not going to be open, and you're not going to have a place to go and gig. Yeah. 
So, like you said, it's kind of a symbiotic thing. It's a partnership. And, you know, whether musicians understand it or not, they are directly responsible for if they're going to play back at a venue or not. And that is solely driven on how they promote themselves and the crowd they bring in. And it's just kind of, you know, that's, I think, one of the frustrating things when I was a promoter is they would just expect the venues to go out and run with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, guys, you got to earn the right mm -hmm. to come in and play, mm -hmm. you know. And this is a very blamey ideology, right? Mm -hmm. that, that, oh, you guys didn't do your, as a, as a bar or as a band, you know, you got, you owners, you know, you didn't do your job. So you're the ones to, you know, we came in there and we play, they would say that it's our job to keep your crowd. I've heard that from yeah. 40 musicians. It's our job to keep your crowd. And you're saying kind of the exact opposite. It's our job. It's the band's job to bring a bunch of people. And that's right? what I would tell them. I'm like, yeah. guys, here's the deal. And that's the kind of stuff I did not sugarcoat, you know, um, with these bands. Because I'm going, look, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come in here and play. So fucking kick ass. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, I got a stack of 30 other bands that yeah, want to come in right. here. Mm -hmm. So if you're bringing people in and, and you're having a party and yeah. the bar's happy, you're having a great time, you're making money, you know, because you'll get some of these venues, they're playing for cover. And I'm going, do you not understand? Mm -hmm. The more people you bring in, the more money you're making. You yeah. Know? And it's just kind of one of those things where when the venue's doing great and the band is doing great, they're both going to have a long-term relationship. Because mm -hmm. if the band doesn't do their job, they're not getting asked back, right. you know? So and you do that math in your head. I mean, there's six people in here. And, okay, let's pretend they all buy food. Ooh, you know, I mean, this bar made 300 bucks tonight, and they're going to pay you 400 Right. Really? You yeah. know, like, how's that, how's that working out? Do you, well, and you they've know, got their like, own labor that they got to pay. Yeah, and, I mean, it's, so, like, it's, it's a very kind of selfish thing going on with the bands, I think, obviously. But it's definitely one that, that I've, I've tried to re, you know, re-understand my thinking the you know the three to four you know the bar makes three hundred tonight and they're expecting you to pay pay them four hundred I mean you know that's obvious but the the debt it's it's tough too because I've talked to many people about this where you you put out some sort of email list or you put out some sort you know you get some sort of way to promote and your your close friends you know are they coming out to every show you know and that's where the bands get really annoyed with the whole thing in general is that you. You get some of your friends, and they might come out a couple times, but they, right. are they going to come out every single week to hear? Yeah. yeah. Well, then they're done. You know, and now who else is coming to your show again? Well, I think they they try to stop themselves at their friends. You know, their their amount of promotion, yes. and maybe that that's where it gets back to stuff like having a crappy name, having a crappy flyer that's not very interesting, having a a thing you can not, not on the radio, I guess, but but some other website or some some something interesting to put and that's what interestingness out there the to get things, the non-friends to come you yes know, right? and that was kind of with the promotional materials for the shanks i would just go through magazines mm. and just look at stuff um you know there is <laughs> like i remember there was one there's well there's a couple in particular um there was, I was flipping through a Rolling Stone magazine and there was a tampon ad in there. <laughs> and 
it basically was everybody at a cocktail party and this beautiful brunette mm -hmm. had this blue silk dress, but it was all hiked up and tucked into <laughs> the back of her. Well, there's her shanks showing, yeah. you know? So you crop it out and you use that as the background. Um, there was another one that I saw. It was in, uh, I think, a men's health magazine where <laughs> this was hysterical. It was this guy hung over his all living hell in his bed and there was a toilet in his bed right next to him and he was holding on to that. You know, and you put some witty captions, you know, how yeah, will you yeah. feel after a night with the shanks, yeah. you know? And that's the kind of stuff yeah, that's, that's good. that, you that's know, good. when people are, they're like, they'll stop and look at that and they're going, all right, you know? So it's kind of how you brand yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, when you've got fun stuff, people kind of automatically think, oh, that's going to be a crazy night, you right. know? So versus, hey, here's so-and-so, we're here, you know, Friday night at nine, right. drink specials, boom, you know, it's boring. Mm -hmm. You know, it's there's nothing that's going to grab you right. about that, you know? It's like we have to, and this is just what it is now, but like this guy was saying to me, he's like, you have to be better than the internet. You know, that's you, a you, very you, wise you know, it's, statement. It's, yeah, and and not even just internet, but the million other things that people could choose to do tonight. You know, you, and it just sucks because in the twenties it was good enough. You get Charlie Parker up there, some guy, and and yeah. they they had a nice show, and that was way more exciting than anything else going on in the town. But now, I mean, there's so many things. I mean, they could go they could go home and watch NCIS instead of come watch right. you or like yeah. you know get on the internet and you sit on Facebook all night or whatever and like or do, be in the million clubs we have now, reading clubs or whatever. You know, any random thing you would want to do, and and that's what is annoying because like. We wish we could just go out and play, you know, because that's what it's supposed to be. But you kind of got to be better in the Internet. So all those little tricks that you just did is, is what you're trying to, during the show, making it really fun, telling, you know, yep. having some humor, doing the promotion, doing the, you know. And I, I don't think a lot of people understand that. Well, and they don't to want your to, point, you know? that's the difference between a band that's going to grind it out, playing a four-hour gig, making 300 bucks. Mm -hmm. Versus going and playing a corporate show or a casino or the same venue where you're playing a four hour gig and you're making seventeen fifty to yeah. two thousand. Yeah. You know, so it's just little things like that which will get you to that level. Yeah, that's you know? that's a good point, man. Um, last thing for you, you have one one other like pretty funny moment in the music business that was horrible but now it was really funny or like a really crazy night or anything um <laughs> God, yeah that's a yes <laughs> yeah i mean i've had a lot of especially yeah. with a lot of these metal bands oh, um yes. yeah we had um well i PG-13 version? <laughs> yeah no, i'm trying to think of sale. well we had this was funny we had one night we were doing, uh, Great White had come off. Mm -hmm. They're just, you know, they were monster, huge and everything. Well, that's the only thing that sucks when you get to the top, the only place to go is down, you know? So these guys were coming off their run of doing their world tour and they're back to playing clubs again. Mm -hmm. So obviously the egos are just mm -hmm. ridiculous. Yeah. But the one thing I had found is 
the egos of the tour managers are almost mm. bigger mm. than the artists themselves. That's interesting. Because they're the ones making the decision, you know? Mm. So, anyways, we had one of our venues up north, and <laughs> I won't use full names, but Kevin was our GM up mm -hmm. there. And Kevin was a former Kansas City police officer. Mm. And for equivalent purposes, he was like the Dirty Harry of Kansas City cops. And he, the only reason they let him go was for excessive force <laughs> during uh, a deal where he was chasing a crack dealer. Oh, wow. And he basically caught up to the guy, and it was an alley, and this old guy was pulling out in a Cadillac, and he caught the guy and picked the guy up and slammed him <laughs> on the hood of the guy's Cadillac, the guy with the Cadillac, pressed charges and everything because he damaged the property, and... Mm -hmm. They had to quietly let him right, go. Yeah. So we always had a chip on his shoulder about that. And the guys that we had working security up, they were goons. Yeah. I mean, just thugs. <laughs> always looking for a brawl because yeah. that was kind of Kevin's mentality. I got nothing to do right now. I got to go right. get in a fight. You know? so, <laughs> anyways, we, had, uh, we were doing a show with them. It was sold out. And they had their tour manager. His name was Lorenzo at the time. And he came down and, you know, we had, we had done uh, a guarantee with them up front. And then they have what's called a rider, which is all the stuff they need, like booze and stuff to stock their bus. Mm -hmm. um, and then you also have, you, you get them dinner or they can do a meal buyout. It's like 10 bucks, 15 bucks a person, whatever it is. Um, so they chose to do a meal buyout. So kind of a check for that. Boom, they went out and did their thing. So we got a line around the block waiting for doors to open. And Lorenzo, he was just a jackass. <laughs> and he comes up and he goes, we're not going on tonight. Audie, the drummer, he's got bursitis in his shoulder and he's not up for playing. So give us our money and we're out of here. And we're like, what? And he gets up on the bus and everything. And Kevin comes up, he's like, and prick and blah 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 and I'm going alright I'll take care of it so I go what's going on Audie's got bursitis I go alright that's fine if you guys can't go on I want all of our money back fuck you and blah 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 and I'm like okay I'm like well we got a sold out show you see all these people around here they paid to see you guys so if he can't go on that means I refund their money so you pay us back and he's like you and whatever mm. I said okay so we went inside and I said Kevin get all the guys strike the stage and lock all their gear up in the back so sure enough he comes up we get all their stuff it's all locked up in the back and everything <laughs> and um, all of a sudden Jack Russell comes down off and he gets up and he's in Kevin's face and he's like doing one of those things and Kevin looks at me I go dude you do whatever you want knowing that he'll beat the living crap out of him. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget that Kevin gets up right in Jack's face and he goes, you better get your face out of mine before I slap that wig off your head. <laughs> he completely freaked out. He goes tearing up to the bus. I see Lorenzo comes in, where's my effing gear and everything? I go, well, based on everything that we've paid you out already, I think that's maybe about even, you know? So he freaks out and he goes back up on the bus 
And then I had to call my boss, Dave, and I'm going, here's where we're at. And he's like, what the F is going on? And he goes, I don't care if you guys got to get up on that bus and jack them off. They're fucking going on tonight. And I'm going, I got it. Don't worry about it. And sure enough, 15 minutes later, Lorenzo comes down. Well, Audie's feeling much better. Oh, and really? I go, I thought so, man. So had to reset yeah, everything wow, up. But wow. Yeah. But it was, it was a good night. Yeah, it, <laughs> interesting. He feels better all of a sudden. Yeah, that's right, man. Yeah, that's funny. And that that kind of that kind of stuff probably happens a lot. And and that's that, that's the that's the stuff that we all know that the audience has absolutely no that's idea. Exactly you know? it, and, and, and it's, that's the stuff that's really the good stuff of, of what conversations need to be about. Because like, because <laughs> I mean, some I'm, I can't believe some of those like '80s hair metal guys, what, what, what would have gone on backstage? Like, I, I mean, Axl Rose and all those people, I mean, like, Sodom hotel, and uh, yeah, yeah, hotel rooms and like, you know, uh, we're in, uh, you hear horror stories about people's buses breaking down in the middle of Arkansas and like, I mean, trying to get to the show and like that stuff is crazy. <laughs> it's good times, man, but yeah, that's man. what makes rock and roll fun. Yeah. Well, man, uh, Tell them one more time uh, about Jerry's. Yeah, well, we do um, the open mic night is every Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. um, I'm hoping they'll keep it during the hours. Uh, we go from 8 to midnight. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times when it warms up, Vinny likes to switch it to what they consider summer hours, yeah. which would be 9 to 1. Yeah. But, you know, with especially getting the attraction for people coming out and jamming, a lot of these guys got to get up go to work early in the morning. So right. eight to midnight works great. We do it every Wednesday night um, during the school years. Um, if there's the younger kids come out, we always get them up first mm -hmm. so they can get in, play and get out mm -hmm. at a decent hour. Um, it's nice of you to accommodate for them. That's yeah, a really you know, nice idea. But the cool thing with that is you're in a venue where you get the privilege of seeing a lot of great musicians. We don't charge cover to get in. Um, they're always running, you know, signing great food specials, cheap drink specials. So it's it's a really fun night. And if you haven't been out there, I would definitely recommend coming on out. So. I, I would too. I always have a, a lot of fun when I go out there. And and it was it was definitely obviously nice to meet all you guys out there. Well, and, dude, and I yeah, I love playing fun. with you, man, and oh, I always hound him for not coming out more. So, <laughs> but it's yeah, it's a whole different element, man, and yeah. and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great, man. Um, well, that's it. This is Craig Summy. Thanks for coming, man. And thank Thanks you for having me. This yeah. was a lot of fun. No problem, man. Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be back with some more people on uh, Casey Music Talk talking more. Music stuff. Keep rocking, Kansas so, City. Yep. All right, see you guys later.